Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. The football season is coming, and there's no better place to start making every moment more than with FanDuel. I just love using this app. It's super user-friendly and safe. They have such a deep repertoire of odds and markets for every sport, and they have same-game parlays. You guys remember the same-game parlays that Liv Moods and I were throwing out during the NBA playoffs for the volume. Those were a ton of fun. All around, it's by far the best sports gambling experience I've come into contact with. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. Again, promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8- Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All 
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Sunday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great weekend. I am coming to you from the studio today, finally. Not from a cruise ship, not from a lake in Washington, from the studio. I slept in my own bed last night for the first time since July 15th, which I really appreciated. As much as I had fun on this vacation, and it was great, and I have a lot of stories from it, um, it's just a long time to be away, to get out of my routine. So I'm very excited to be back. I work out with a bunch of uh, uh, college athletes and professional athletes that come back in town over the summer, and I was training with some of them this morning, and it was rough. <laughs> I am very, very out of shape. Uh, but that said, it's good to get back, to get back in the routine. It feels good to be back in this room and to be talking about basketball. Um, we're going to talk about Draymond's extension today, uh, why I think he deserves a max, and why I disagree with a lot of the discourse that's floating around him, particularly from Warriors fans. We're going to talk about LeBron James' extension, <clears throat> why I don't think he wants to leave, but I do believe he would if things went a certain way. We're going to talk about Zion's contract clause having to do with his weight and his body fat percentage, why I think that's actually important, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable. And last but not least, I'm going to tell you guys which guy I think will be traded first, Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell. At the very end, I'm going to share some of my stories from vacation, just my thoughts about the Pacific Northwest and about Alaska and some of the geology stuff. I get nerdy about some of that geology stuff, but I'm going to save that for the very, very end of the show. Um, before we get started today, though, I wanted to talk about Bill Russell for just a quick second. Um, he obviously passed away today at 88 years old. You know, there, he had such a monumental impact on the world that goes so far beyond the game of basketball. And to, to be quite frank, there's just a lot of people that are far more qualified to talk about that stuff than I am. I don't have anything to offer there. Bill's story tells itself. And there will be people that can tell that story better than I can. You guys know me. I'm all about the basketball. But even if we just focus down in on the basketball, he's one of the founding fathers of this game. You know, I love this game so much. And this game has given so much to me and to my family. And I, I, don't, I look at it in the sense that we wouldn't have these opportunities surrounding the game of basketball without people like Bill and the things they did to grow the game, the things they get, did to help the game survive during its infant stages to allow it to get to the point where the next person could grab the baton and carry it further and further. All of you kids who are playing in high school, all of you kids who are playing in college and getting your school paid for, all of you kids that are playing overseas, whatever it is that you're doing with the game, if you're coaching, if you're covering, even if you're just a fan, this game is where it is today in large part because of people like Bill. And he was around during a time when it wasn't easy to be an NBA basketball player. There wasn't immense wealth. There wasn't, you know, this immense fame that came with it. And obviously, I don't need to get into it, but for him on the race side of things, it was incredibly difficult. And so from that standpoint, I'm just incredibly thankful for everything that Bill Russell did for the game of basketball so that all of us who are taking part in the game in some way, shape, or form are able to do so the way that we do. So rest in peace to Bill Russell, um, condolences to his family, and I, I hope we spend a good amount of time this week just kind of reminiscing and telling his story in more detail because it's a story that is worth telling. Um, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. Don't forget to subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you guys don't miss any more of our videos going forward. And if for whatever reason, if you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back to YouTube to finish it, we do release them in audio form on our podcast feed under Hoops Tonight, which you can find anywhere that you find your podcasts. 
All right, let's get into this Draymond Green extension. So, you know, there was very interesting kind of shift in ideals as we went from this championship season to the following season, right? We went from, you know, uh, Joe Lake of kind of saying like, oh, I'll write the biggest luxury tax bill ever. I'll pay whatever I need to pay. We're going to go, we're going to make this work. We make more revenue than everybody. We're going to do this. And then they let Otto Porter Jr. go and they let Gary Payton II go. And I thought they would let one of those guys go, but they ended up letting both of those guys go. And then Joe Lake basically came out and said, and like, hey, like I, I can't realistically pay all of this money. So, and that's to be expected with the way that the luxury tax compounds on itself, with the way that the penalties work, it's just really difficult to consistently field a roster as expensive as the Warriors is. So we knew that somebody was going to get squeezed, you know, and, and, and it was always possible that Draymond might be that guy. But as always is the case in these situations, you know, and, and I think this is a, a byproduct of Stan culture we have like these fan bases that aren't really fans of the teams. They're fans of the players. And then it turns into this, like, let him go. He's not worth the max anymore. And now we're just going to rewrite history and pretend like he wasn't massively influential in this era of Warriors basketball. And I have a problem with that. And it's not specifically with the Warriors. Like I said, I've seen LeBron fans do this. I've seen KD fans do this. I've seen Steph fans do this. They, uh, they kind of drive down the value of their role players to try to elevate the success of their favorite player. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a downside to the way that we cover the game of basketball. I think it's, I don't think we do a good enough job. Draymond Green has done a great job of kind of conveying this point, but we as basketball media don't do a good enough job of expressing the way that basketball games are won because basketball games are won in a very complicated manner. And often with things that are not celebrated enough, we just, focus because of the entertainment value on what the star does. And don't get me wrong, a star impacts winning in basketball more than most sports. So there's a good reason why we do put so much credit on the stars, but I think we've gone too far in that direction and now we've begin to undervalue this. The reality is is that Draymond Green contributes to winning more than a lot of players that are currently on max contracts. DeAndre Ayton just signed a max contract to stay with the Phoenix Suns, right? Did you think DeAndre Ayton was a better playoff player this year than Draymond Green was? Now I know that uh, DeAndre Ayton is a more polished offensive player, but if you actually look at impact on winning, Draymond Green did more to help the Warriors win basketball games in this playoff run than DeAndre Ayton did to help the Phoenix Suns win playoff games, and there was no question that DeAndre Ayton deserved a max. But because of the way that we look at the game and because we don't properly, you know, distribute credit for the way that basketball games are won, a lot of the things that Draymond Green does goes uncelebrated. You know, I always talk about how there's a list of responsibilities that have to get accomplished on a basketball court. It's not as simple as Steph coming off of a ball screen and knocking down a three-point shot. There are all these different things that are happening on the court on both ends of the floor between rebounding, defensive assignments, you know, even within just rebounding, there's boxing out, there's crashing from the perimeter, right? There's, there's, there in general, just floor distribution and rebounding so that you don't give up transition opportunities. That's just looking at rebounding. When we look at the way that plays operate and the screening actions that are required, the the things that are done as decoys so that other people have opportunities. I mean, Steph Curry himself operates as a decoy a good percentage of the game. Then we go to the defensive end of the floor and you look at guys who are lock and trail defenders that chase shooters off of screens. We look at wing defenders that guard the bigger physical wings in the league and try to prevent them from getting to their spots. We have 
really, really intense, you know, we have so many good guards in the league that can get dribble penetration. There are defenders that their sole responsibility is to try to contain dribble penetration. And then we have backline defenders, rim protectors, you know, there, there's just, you know, guys who defend and screen and roll in a bunch of different ways. There are just so many things that need to be done on a basketball court. And when you have a guy like Draymond who checks so many of those boxes for you, it makes it so that Steph Curry, who has some limitations in those areas, can just be unbelievably great at the things he's unbelievably great at, which is putting the ball in the basket, moving without the basketball, and being a leader. He doesn't have to worry about so many of those other things. This is why we always call Draymond Green a star role player. Just because he doesn't do the superstar high-end house of highlights types of things doesn't mean he's not a star. His impact on the game, the way he impacts winning, is the same as that of a star. And so because of that, he very easily deserves a max. Golden State in this playoff run was plus 117 in 703 minutes with Draymond Green on the floor. They were minus 6 in 353 minutes with him off. During the regular season, they were 2.3 points better per 100 possessions with him on the floor versus with him off. The only stat that has ever appropriately measured Draymond's impact on winning is the scoreboard. It has never been a thing that you could make a highlight reel of. It, you know, I was I was talking with Samus Fondiari, who covers the Warriors with the guys uh, uh, from Light Years, and they do a great job. If you're a Warriors fan looking for dedicated Warriors coverage, that's another great place to go. You know, we were, we were talking about the difference between Wiseman and Draymond. And Sam said something to me that really resonated with me. He's like, he goes, Draymond gets off on bullying other team centers and other teams, big guys, like mentally bullying them, physically bullying them. He just loves that process and result. That simple thing has such a massive impact on basketball games. Do you guys remember how bad Kevin Love was in the NBA finals every time they played the Warriors? Do you remember how bad he was in 2016 in particular? A huge part of that was Draymond Green from the opening minutes of that series just took the life out of him. Just physically bullied him, talked a bunch of shit, sucked away his confidence, and it was over for Kevin Love. And for the rest of the series, he basically became a guy that occasionally would take a spot up three and worked a lot on the glass and played hard on defense. That was all he did. The, the multifaceted post-up offensive player that you remember was erased from those series because of what Draymond Green does as a bully on the defensive end of the floor. It, it's, it's so funny to me because over the years with the Steph Curry thing, and again, this is about the, the stay-in culture, Draymond Green's impact has constantly been undervalued. And, you know, again, like it, someone might have to get squeezed. And because of the way the contracts work out, it might be Draymond. But you don't have to burn him down on the way out and pretend like he wasn't one of your very best players and pretend like he wasn't a max impact player on your team. And when he gets a max elsewhere, if he doesn't sign one with the Warriors, you don't need to be like, I can't believe they're playing him, paying him a max. That's ridiculous. He doesn't deserve that. Yes, he does. He is a max player in the NBA with his impact on winning. He just might not fit into your cap sheet. And that's fine. I personally think it would be weird to see Draymond Green in anything not a Warriors uniform, so I hope he sticks around. But again, I, I just wanted to share my two cents on on that whole situation because it's 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 a conversation that comes about every couple of years. It came about again in the finals when he had a couple of rough games. He was down two one in the series, 
playing like shit, and he promised they would come back to win and played great doing it. And he was magnificent in Game 6 in Boston. That was, <laughs> that was some, a very brave thing to do. And, and, and like we're, we're obviously lucky, lucky to have him here at the volume. You guys know that when he plays poorly, I'm someone who's going to criticize him, and, but I'm also going to defend him when I feel like he deserves defending. And at the end of the day, basketball comes first here. Um, and I think we're lying to ourselves if we pretend like Draymond Green's not worth the max. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's really good? Creighton, you know, watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not, never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament? Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But, like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That could, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was – Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. that. Like, that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a, is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You see the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hit a homer with $5 Dinger Tuesdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. 
Each Tuesday, all customers will get $5 for every home run hit by both teams when you place a $25 to hit a home run wager on MLB games. And the best part about Dinger Tuesdays is even if your bet loses, FanDuel will pay you $5 for every home run. I'll be going with Aaron Judge. The dude's on pace for like 66 home runs. He's got an outside chance of passing Barry Bonds' single-season record. He's the best watch in the sport right now, so I'll be going with Aaron Judge. There's no better place to bet America's pastime than on America's number one sportsbook. Head over to your FanDuel account or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code JasonT to pick your home run hitter. That's promo code JasonT. All right, let's move on to Zion's contract clause, which apparently has some de-escalators in it related to his weight and his body fat percentage. Now, first of all, you got to remember that this is in the contract because both sides agreed to it. I would imagine that Zion's agent would not allow something like that to get into the contract unless it was a real point of contention and an issue with leverage to where he kind of felt like they had to. Now, a couple of things. First of all, uh, Zion was drafted in June 20th of 2019. That was more than three years ago. And he has played a grand total of 85 NBA games. And it's a problem when you really look at the modern NBA and how difficult it is to get players to stick around. And you're already three years into that typical seven years of control or whatever that a team has over a player that they draft. And you've only gotten 85 games out of him. And you're a very good basketball team. You took the Phoenix Suns to six games without Zion. So this is probably something that's legitimately frustrating for the Pelicans. And then you look at the stuff, there were some reports that Zion wasn't being super, he wasn't communicating very well with the franchise. He was handling his rehab in private. And when you hear that kind of stuff, that adds to the level of concern with the franchise that would allow them the leverage to add something like that into their contract. Now, I get that it's uncomfortable, but you know, I, I, I joke with my wife. My wife works in a small business here in Tucson that's retail. And so she's got employees, right? And one of the things is like, you have to have difficult conversations with people. But the, the problem is, is, if you avoid difficult conversations, then problems go unchecked, problems go unsolved. And so you have to be willing to sit down with somebody, even though it's awkward, even though it's uncomfortable, and have a tough conversation to get to the bottom of an issue so that you can fix it. And make it, believe it or not, this issue with Zion with his weight could literally make or break his career. The difference between whether or not Zion is a perennial All-NBA player or someone who drifts out of the league quickly with an injury-riddled career is this issue, the issue of him taking care of his body. And so I don't have a problem with the Pelicans advocating for something like this. They do have Zion's best interests at heart. They want him to meet these markers so that he can be the best basketball player that he can be, which is mutually beneficial. It will help the Pelicans to win basketball games. It will help Zion to earn a ton of money and give him a ton of leverage and leeway moving forward in contract negotiations so that he doesn't have to have something like this in his contract in the future. You know, Zion is a very interesting basketball player because we don't see a lot of players like him around the league. You see Blake Griffin comparisons because he's dunking all over people. You see Zach Randolph comparisons because he's just this ridiculously strong power post player who goes to his left. But the truth of the matter is, is it can be even greater than any of that. There is a version of Zion because of his ability to handle the basketball already and because of his unique body type with his low center of gravity that could be significantly better than either of those players ever were. 
You know, obviously we've seen the post-ups and the power moves with his left hand and the ability to finish around the rim better than just about anybody in the league. We've seen some of the slashing, but he hasn't even really been realized as a player that can run high pick and roll and pass and make reads and get downhill and slash to the rim. He hasn't really flashed his ability to shoot the basketball yet, which right now he's not a good shooter, but that's something that he could build towards. And right now he's a bad defensive player. And this is where it gets interesting because his him being able to take care of his body and him being able to have elite conditioning is something that he needs to be able to defend at an extremely high level. And the ability to defend at an extremely high level is the difference between him being a top 15 player in the NBA or a top five player in the NBA. Now, he'll never be Draymond Green. Draymond Green is a unique... Uh, every time we see an undersized post player, that's the first name that we throw out, right? Like, oh, he could be Draymond Green. But that doesn't properly give credit to the things that Draymond Green does. Like we talked about earlier in the show, he's kind of a crazy person when it comes to bullying and, and shutting down opposing post players. He thrives in the physicality. He loves it. And he pours his heart and soul into that side of the floor. You know, Zion's a much better offensive player, so he may never devote resources like that. But there's no reason in the world why he shouldn't be able to be a much better defensive player than he is. And in order to unlock that, he will need to take care of his body in a way that he hasn't. The idealized version of Zion is a pantheon type of player. But he may not be able to stay on the floor if he doesn't take care of these things. And if he doesn't take care of these things, he'll never become the shooter that he needs to be. He'll never become the defender that he needs to be to reach his ceiling. So again, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. I get all of that. But this is just an important step in Zion's development. Understanding the importance of taking care of your body. You don't get to do this forever. When you're young, you think so. But you don't get to do this forever. Like I, I stepped away from the game for 14 days. 30 years old to go on a vacation with my wife and I put on 12 pounds <laughs> like like that just quickly put on 12 pounds now hopefully I can drop it all and get back into shape but it's it gets even harder as you get older to maintain your conditioning and to maintain your level of athleticism now is a great time for him to figure some of these lessons out even if it's uncomfortable even if it's awkward um, let's move on to LeBron's extension so there was some debate early on as to whether or not LeBron would weaponize the threat of his lack of extension to try to put pressure on the Lakers front office to make a deal for Kyrie Irving or to do things that will make massive improvements to the roster. But then we heard from Jake Fisher that he's extremely happy in LA. And that sounds right to me. I remember when all this was going down last year or last season, right about the time that I started with the volume, there was some concern around the all-star break as to whether or not LeBron would ever leave the Lakers. I don't think he would unless he had a really good reason. It, the, the idea, I think Jake Fisher phrased it as, his family is becoming increasingly entrenched in the Los Angeles area. That's just a really fancy way of saying they love it here. There. They love it in LA. And so they would not leave unless they had a damn good reason. But here's the problem. LeBron is still very, very good at basketball. And this could be his last great chance. This next couple of years could be his last chance to try to add to his resume. And when he sees those two things and he sees a front office that is botching that, it's going to add concern. Now, I think part of the reason why LeBron still has a little bit of leeway is he shares some blame here. You know, LeBron was the one, him and Anthony Davis, who pushed hard for the Russell Westbrook trade. And so he can't blame Rob and Jeannie for that, even though I personally think that it's Rob's job to look LeBron in the face and say, 
I've watched a ton of film on Russell in the last couple of years. He's not a good fit. This isn't a bad idea. We're not, or this is a bad idea. We're not going to do that. That's Rob's job. That's the way I see it. LeBron shares some blame. So does Rob. But LeBron understands his culpability in this situation. So LeBron understanding his culpability in this situation is what's going to give him the patience to give Rob and Jeannie one more chance. But make no mistake, if they get to the season and they haven't made monumental changes to add talent to this roster and LeBron's looking around and he doesn't see, feel like he has the horses to even compete in the NBA at this point, I do believe he would leave. Because I think he would see it as a waste of his last good years as a basketball player to spend it with a front office and ownership group that's not capable of surrounding him with enough, cha- uh, uh, with enough talent. So I do think that there is some threat there. But make no mistake, if they do execute a trade, if they get you know uh, Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, if they get Kyrie Irving, LeBron's going to feel, especially with how much his family loves it in L.A., he's going to feel like he has enough in L.A. to not justify him leaving. You know, there comes a point in every season, and it happened again last year as the Lakers missed the playoffs, where you want to say, you know, LeBron's done. LeBron's washed. LeBron's on the tail end. The end is near, whatever. But I, every time, I feel like people have become so, you know, like jaded on how good LeBron is that they don't acknowledge how good he still is. You know, I sent out a tweet earlier. I asked everybody. I said, how many people, if I asked you, how many people do you think in the NBA this season – Averaged at least 25 points, five rebounds, five assists on at least 45% from the field and 35% from three. Those are pretty base level markers. Five rebounds, five assists, 25 points, 45% from the field, 35% from three. doesn't seem like that crazy of a list of parameters. I asked people, how many players do you think met those, those uh, uh, hallmarks? And I had a lot of huge numbers thrown out. 13, 6, 24, blah, 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 blah. The answer is three. There were three players who did that last year. Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, and LeBron James. 25-5-5, at least 45% from the field and 35% from three. That's how rare it is to be as consistently productive and efficient as an uh, an offensive uh, engine as LeBron is. That's how rare it is. And we've taken that for granted for way too long. That player is playing for the Lakers next year. So is Anthony Davis. There's a reason why LeBron feels urgency, and it's time for Rob and Jeannie to feel that same urgency. Last note I wanted on this uh, to hit on this. LeBron will age well in this league as well. Let's say he tries to play 23 years, okay, which who knows? It'll probably end up being whether or not he suffers a major injury that makes that decision. If he tears an ACL or tears an Achilles like Kobe did, then I think he'll be done. But if he stays healthy, I could see him playing 22, 23, 24 seasons. So what does the aging LeBron look like? Because year 19 LeBron was one of three players in the NBA to average at least 25, 5, and 5 on 45% from the field and 35% from three. So year 19 LeBron, top five player in the NBA. Year 20 LeBron, probably top 10, right? But year 21, 22, 23, what does LeBron look like? His game is set up and built in a way that will age well. He passes the ball extremely well. He relies on size and strength at this point almost as much as his athleticism, which is what allows him to play bully ball and to be so so successful in the post. He's incredibly smart, and he knows how to play different types of roles on a basketball court, especially as he gives responsibilities and cedes responsibilities to better players. So I think that even year 22 LeBron is going to be a top 15 player, a top 20 player in this league, worthy of a max contract 
and capable of contributing massively to winning, especially if he's around other players that can handle some of those top-tier responsibilities. So I don't think there's a ton of risk in the Lakers extending LeBron two years, which I believe is the limit with the way the CBA works when you're extending players who are at least 38 years old at the beginning of the extension. So it would be only two years, but I think there's a really good chance that LeBron would more than perform up to the expectations of that contract value. So I think the Lakers shouldn't have any reservations about it. And LeBron is smart to apply some, some pressure on the Lakers just because he feels urgency about his situation. All right. So last basketball topic of the day, who will get traded first, Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell? Now, the reason in particular why this Kevin Durant trade is, uh, is dragging on, and really the Mitchell trade as well, is the Rudy Gobert trade completely screwed up the market. I said all last year that I thought Rudy Gobert might be considered a negative asset because he's going to make like $47 million in 2026 as a player who cannot score the basketball against switches down low in the post and really is just Clint Capella on the offensive end of the floor. Now, I think Rudy Gobert is one of the best defensive players in the league, and I think that he is wrongfully maligned on that end of the floor, but he doesn't do enough on offense to justify his contract value. Like, he's even worse on offense, even more useless on offense than Draymond Green gets accused of being from time to time, right? So the way I look at it, Minnesota, with a new owner and a new GM, throwing four first-round picks in a swap and three quality NBA starters from a playoff team, for a guy like Rudy Gobert, completely screwed up everyone's belief about what value should be with, with stars in the league. So a lot of these offers that are getting thrown out by teams, like I bet you the offer that the Miami Heat made or the offer that the Phoenix Suns made for Kevin Durant was worse than the Rudy Gobert offer. And so that's completely screwed up Brooklyn's whole view of all of this. The only offer that I've seen thrown out that's a legitimately better offer than that is the Jalen Brown one with the Phoenix Suns or maybe some of the offers that Toronto has thrown together with like a surrounding OG Ananobi, right? Like I just, I, I, it, that, that, that just completely screwed up the market. So I believe Donovan Mitchell, now these, these are just guesses. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't have any specific reporting on this, but I believe Donovan Mitchell will get traded first. I think that Utah's a little bit more blow it up than Brooklyn has accepted at this point. So I think that he'll end up get, getting traded first and it'll be for a package significantly less than what the Utah Jazz or excuse me than, uh, than what the Utah Jazz got for Rudy Gobert. When that happens, because they happen to catch the Minnesota Timberwolves desperate under new leadership, right? The rest of the field's not in that situation, so they will get less for Donovan. When they do, that will reset the market reestablish the norms, which will then allow some of these Kevin Durant offers to make more sense for Brooklyn. And so I think the KD trade will follow shortly thereafter. That's just a guess. I have no earthly idea, but I think the market got screwed up by Gobert. I think a Mitchell trade will kind of reset the market a little bit, and then KD will follow. I do believe that both players will get traded before training camp because I do think that the whole we'll bring him to camp thing is just an aimless threat to try to change leverage. And I think that most well-meaning basketball organizations understand that you want a fresh start when you start training camp. When you got a coach sitting down with the players going over team principles and rules and, and things and trying to get buy-in from a group to an ultimate goal, you don't need a guy who's half in, half out the door. You don't need a player who's publicly, you know, requested a trade. And you know, there's I I don't even know if there's any legitimacy to this, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if Kevin Durant refused to show up, which is a whole other type of drama. So 
I do think they both get traded. My guess is is Mitchell's first, and my guess that the delay is caused by the Rudy Gobert trade and how it uh, screwed up the market. All right, before we get out of here for today, I just wanted to tell a couple of stories from my vacation. Um, like I told you guys earlier, I get kind of nerdy about some of this geology stuff, and the Pacific Northwest is so incredibly different than where I grew up. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. The only other places I've lived are Utah, which is a completely different vibe than Arizona, and Charlotte, which is in the south, and once again, completely different vibe from Arizona. But I'd never even been to the Pacific Northwest. When I was in college, we played at North Idaho College uh, three times uh, while I was there. So I drove up to Coeur d'Alene, which is in northern Idaho, which is close to Spokane, therefore close to the Pacific Northwest. But it's once you get on the other side of the Cascade Range, it's a completely different climate out there. It's more like high desert at that point. Uh, but we went up and we spent like, I think, five or six days on Lake Chelan in Washington. And then we went to Seattle, boarded a cruise ship and spent a week up in Alaska. And, you know, I had I, I learned a, a little bit about glaciers growing up in school and stuff, but it's just not something you talk about a lot in the desert of Arizona. I mean, it's been like 105 degrees every single day for the last like two months. It's just not a topic of conversation down here. And I was so incredibly fascinated by all of the geology up in that area. I guess during the last ice age, all of these glaciers were basically down over the entire state of Washington. And as they receded, they just dug out all of these, you know, fjords or lakes or passages or sounds or things along all the waterways in the area. And it's super fascinating to me because I had never really understood what a glacier was. I just thought it was like a big piece of ice that shedded other small pieces of ice and one of them sunk the Titanic. That, that, that's just about it. all I knew about glaciers before I went up there. And so obviously, like I usually do, I just dove headlong into researching it. And it's crazy. They're actually like flowing rivers of ice. They actually move under their own weight, which is super, really inter super interesting. And that's what actually causes them to dig out the surrounding terrain. When I was on the cruise, uh, one of the mornings, they're like, we have this scenic drive that we're going to uh, go on. It starts at 6 a.m. and it's going to go to 10 a.m. And so I wake up and I look out my window and I see like little icebergs floating alongside the ship. The water is this like beautiful, like green aqua color. There's like this mist hanging over the mountains. It's almost like you're on another planet. And I got up and I got my wife up and we walked up to the top of the ship and we pulled up on the Dawes Glacier, which is on the Endicott Arm, which is one of the fjords in Alaska. And it was one of the most incredibly beautiful things I've ever seen. I put some pictures of it on my Twitter feed so you guys can see it there. Um, but just in general, like this whole other element of geology that I'd never experienced before was so interesting to me. I'm obsessed with glaciers now. I was watching YouTube videos about them uh, two nights ago. And uh, I really, really enjoyed seeing Alaska, seeing the Pacific Northwest. My last note on the Pacific Northwest, you know, we have mountains in Arizona, but they're like chains of mountains, right? And they kind of dominate the skyline, uh, particularly in Tucson. Phoenix has really short mountains. Uh, Tucson is surrounded by three particularly large mountains, uh, Mount Lemmon, Mount Wrightston, and then there's a, a range of mountains uh, to the east of us. And so we kind of are just used to seeing mountains on our skyline all the time. But when we were in Seattle, we came over this kind of ridge, and I knew Mount Rainier was near Seattle, but I wasn't aware of the dynamic. And we came around this corner, and I look over to my left, and I see this behemoth of a mountain that's like almost perfectly symmetrical that's just staring down at the city in this super ominous way. And I've always had a thing for high mountains. It's, I, I, I love to ski. We, spend, uh, we go to Colorado a couple times a year. We hang out on the mountains in Tucson. It's always been something I've been fascinated by. But I had never seen a mountain like that before. 
So then once again, I dove into it and did a bunch of research. And there's basically this connection of all these uh, uh, volcanoes in that area that they call the Pacific Ring of Fire. And they're essentially they're, the surrounding terrain is relatively flat and they just kind of rise out of the terrain. And, you know, I, on the flight out of Seattle, it was a perfectly clear day. And I got to literally see one after the, uh, after the other, Mount St. Helens and Mount Hood and Mount Jefferson. I'll, I'll share a picture of it on my Twitter feed later today because it was really cool. But they almost look like pimples on the earth. Cause the earth is like flat. And then there's just like this big mountain that comes to a point at the top. And it was such an interesting thing to see. It was so different than anything I had seen growing up. Uh, obviously I went to the Pacific Northwest during some good weather because it is July. Uh, but I've heard, I talked to some of the people that live there and they're like, yeah, for nine months a year, it's just gloomy every day. And you're probably going to want to spend a couple weeks during that stretch to get out and get into some sunlight just so that you don't go crazy. And I don't know that I could ever live in a place like that. Who knows what will happen as the years go by. But it was really cool to get to see it for the first time. I loved uh, getting to see the mountains. I loved getting to see Alaska. Last note, cruises are not for me. <laughs> uh, the, the swaying back and forth made it so that it was really difficult for me to get into my routine, particularly working out, like doing the, the plyometric workouts that I do, doing the basketball workouts that I do with the ship moving beneath, beneath your feet was really, really tough for me. The small spaces, uh, you know, like trying to take a shower in that tiny little coffin of a shower in your room is, is, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, I enjoyed certain elements of it. Like obviously they, I, the operation is amazing to me. There were 1100 people on that ship that were in service that were taking care of about 2000 passengers. So there's almost one service person for every two passengers, which is ridiculous. And they do, they're so incredibly well run. They're like a machine. It was incredibly fascinating to me, but it's just not. And I, I, the other thing too, is I don't, I'm not really a huge drinker. I'll have the occasional drink with my wife and we're not opposed to it or, you know, conscientious objectors or anything, but we're just not, we just don't partake that often. If you are into that in particular, you love the cruise ship because you could get so many drinks, so many different places. They usually have packages that make it affordable and you can just kind of drink your way around the ship. But, uh, I think if I did Alaska again, what I would do is I'd fly to Juneau and from there I'd get a, a, an Airbnb crash for like four nights and then I'd book excursions. Like I'd get a boat excursion that would go see a glacier. And then I would, you know, go hiking in the surrounding area. If I wanted to go see wildlife, I'd go on a wildlife tour or something like that. But like you can kind of capture a lot of the elements of the cruise without the boat by doing something like that. And then obviously when you're sailing up to Alaska from Seattle, there are two stretches where you're just at sea for two days. So for basically three and a half of the seven days, we were just and on the ocean on a cruise ship. So it kind of gets a little claustrophobic and you kind of feel like you're trapped in, 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 a, in one place. But again, that's just my experience. I'm sure many of you guys have been on cruises and loved them. Again, with the, any of this stuff, it's either for you or it's not. Uh, I was blessed to get to do this particular cruise for free as a reward for my, uh, the company that my wife works for. Um, so I obviously enjoyed it and was thankful for it. Just not necessarily for me. And I, I would do it differently if I went back to Alaska, which I hope to go back one day. Um, but very good trip. Um, glad to be home. Glad to be back in the routine. That is all I have for today. I sincerely appreciate all of you guys and all of your support uh, for the show. Um, this next week, we're going to get started on our player rankings and our all-time rankings. So we'll have lots of fun stuff in August surrounding ranking players in the league currently and all-time. We have some special stuff planned for you guys there. All right, that's all I have. I'll see you guys in a couple of days. 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.